0: A seat. So I imagine that uh, there's a lot of preparation going on to get ready for Christmas. And uh, the reason why we put so much preparation into it is because we want an opportunity to rest in the presence of those who know us best. So that everything's prepared, we have that space and time, and there's an opportunity for a breath and rest, and that has a physical aspect to it, a mental aspect to it, and a spiritual aspect to it. In terms of physically, we're perhaps hoping for some extra sleep, maybe a few naps on the sofa at some stage, lots of good food could be part of what we're looking for, hoping for, and uh, perhaps a bit of fresh air and some walks, if the weather permits. In terms of mentally, perhaps we're hoping that we'll get some time off work, we're hoping to put that to-do list. I don't know if you have a to-do list. I have a to-do list. And it's great to be able for a certain period of time to just put it to the side and not be thinking about taking anything off it. Also as well, maybe playing some games and just having a laugh is always a good thing. Another thing is, is to do with spiritual renewal. God's given us souls and that means that we are We're body, we're mind, and we're spirit, and so it's really important for us also to have spiritual renewal. So whenever we emerge from Christmas, we hope that we will physically, mentally, and spiritually be revitalized and come out fresh out the other side of Christmas. And so this season of Advent, these four weeks of leading up to Christmas, are all about spiritual renewal. And at the heart of that spiritual renewal is the opportunity to silently, quietly spend time with God, reflecting on who he is and how he wants to pour out fresh blessing into our lives and to give us soul rest. And so, so many of the hymns and carols that we sing or listen to over the Christmas period speak about rest for our weary souls. O holy night, the stars are, ho- are brightly shining. It is the night of the dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. A thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. Fall on your knees, O hear the angel voices. O night divine, O night when Christ was born. The thing about being spiritually renewed is that I think for us quite often it can be pretty obvious how we are physically refreshed. We know that we need sleep, just generally rest and food, and we know if we have those type of things then that will help us to gain strength physically. Too mentally we know that Mental revitalization means actually a rest from trying to problem solve and do all the time and actually have times of laughter and just chilling out doing the things that actually bring rest to our minds. But in terms of spiritual refreshment, which is the most important one of all, quite often we, we think that the things that we need are actually the, actually the opposite to what we need. And so the world also tells us the things that it it believes that we should desire and expect in terms of our lives. But listen to the teaching of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. he, He spoke about everything to do with the kingdom of God. Just in about 10 verses of scripture, he summed up everything. And he started off by saying something like this. God blesses those who admit they need his help. God blesses those who confess their faults. And God blesses those who put other people first. Now, the thing is, that is not the list that we would come up with if we were to think, how do I become spiritually refreshed? Well, I should put other people first. I should confess my faults to God and to other people. And I should realize that actually I'm in great need of help, external help and that that help ultimately comes from God. It may also come to other people, but we're not islands. We need help. We need God's help primarily. And that is right at the heart of what Christian faith is all about, what it means to find rest for our souls. So when Mary is speaking about how God works, she says, God's mighty arm has done tremendous things. He has scattered the proud and haughty ones. He has brought down princes from their thrones and exalted the humble. As Mark was saying, the way God works is different than we would expect. We would expect that God would send his son with like celebrity status in like sort of Justin Bieber's gray Rolls Royce. But instead, he sends his son in an un- in unadorned environment and he puts them under the care of people who are very humble people, people who, who know that God works in ways that he pulls down the proud and he exalts the humble. I imagine that one of the main ways that Jesus recognized the way God worked humbly is by watching his mother and father, by watching Mary and Joseph, I imagine the angel Gabriel knew well why God had chosen Mary to be the mother of Jesus. Because her song is full of the recognition that God works and blesses the humble. That's the way God has always worked. That's the way God always will work. And so James chapter four, verse six says, that God opposes the pride but he lifts up the humble. So if sometimes we wonder why we've become weary in our souls, part of the answer may well be that the mighty arm of God is against us. Whenever you and I think proudly, speak proudly, or act proudly in any way, we are fighting against God. God Himself. And one of the reasons why we become so weary in our souls is because we are being opposed by the living God. That's one of the main reasons why we become weary in our souls. But God specializes in lifting up the humble. And that's what the whole Christmas story is about. And so Jesus teaches us to follow his example. He teaches us to pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. At the very start of how Jesus teaches us as disciples to pray is this declaration that God is God. God is to be honored. And our life is to be full of prayer that his will will be done and not ours. Central to Christian faith is a desire that God's will be done rather than ours. Jesus also then, as we've mentioned in that Sermon on the Mount, says, God blesses those who are humble for they will inherit the whole earth. In other words, who, who is going to win through in the end? Who's going to live a victorious life? Who in the end is going to stand and the earth is going to belong to them? The answer, Jesus says, is those who are humble in heart. In other words, those who put other people first, as Jesus did, are those who in the end will live a victorious life. So Jesus invites us to do what he did. He submitted to his parents, he submitted to the religious authorities, He submitted to the civic leaders. Again, one of the reasons why we become so weary is because we find it really difficult to submit to those who are around us. We find it difficult to submit to those who are in authority. Sometimes in our workplace, we do what we're asked to do, but actually there's rebellion in our hearts. We go along with what we have to go along with, but in our hearts, there's this sense of, I'll do it, but hey, I really do want to. Jesus says that's not the way to get on. Jesus says, obey the leaders who are in government and pray for them so that they will exercise wisdom It's not that we never say we want to call to account our government or those in leadership. Jesus was constantly saying, this is how you should operate. He was constantly saying to his disciples as well, the ones who followed him, have faith, believe, trust, be holy, be mature. But yet he constantly submitted to them. In the end, Jesus submitted all the way through his life to all those who were in authority. He submitted to his parents. He submitted to the religious leaders. He submitted to his disciples. He washed their feet. We are called as followers of Jesus Christ to submit to those who are in positions of authority above us and also those who are in positions of authority uh, submission to us, whether it be in the workplace, or a family, or a neighbourhood, or by dint of our age, whatever it happens to be. We are called to actively submit to those who expect to be an authority under us, or to expect to be an authority over us. That's not to say that we abdicate responsibility in our workplace, or as a parent, or a husband, or whatever it happens to be. We have responsibility. And yet Jesus shows us the way to live is actually living in submission. And that means to look out for other people and to live out the golden rule of Christian faith. Do to other people as you would have them do to you. It's about thinking, what's it like to be in another person's shoes? What's it like to be in the shoes of our boss who we find it difficult to love and difficult to obey? What's it like to have their level of responsibility? What's it like for them to tackle some of the really naughty and difficult issues they have to tackle? What's it like for our parents with the responsibility they have? what's it like to be in the shoes of the people who are around us? That's the place where we start in terms of living a life in which we willingly submit to other people. Of course, ultimately, the one to whom Jesus submitted was his heavenly father. And so recognizing that in and through him, God was redeeming the whole of creation, And he was going to do it through the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus even submitted to death itself. And the reason why he did is because he knows the Father lifts up those who completely humble themselves. If we want to find soul rest, There are some very unexpected ways that God calls us to think and to live. The one we looked at last week, confess your faults to other people, own up to them, and confess your faults to God. A wonderful way to find rest for your souls. Be real. Be real with God and be real with other people. It's living in denial and living not in reality which exhausts us. The other thing that exhausts us is always wanting to have our own way. The world tells us, human thinking tells us that what we want to do is get ourselves to the place where everyone is at our beck and call. Everyone does what we want them to do. Whether we have the power or the money to just say, perhaps like some of those celebrities, do what I'm asking you to do, otherwise you'll not get paid. Or whether we seek to have people do what we want them to do, not by dint of ostensible power, but actually by manipulating them and their emotions so they will do exactly what we want them to do. All of us as human beings have techniques We're either in the workplace or in our marriage or in the family or in our neighborhood. We try to get other people to do what we want them to do. And the world tells us that's what success looks like. Success is being able to get your own way. But there is nothing more exhausting in life than always having to have your own way because you will always be disappointed. You will enter places of anger and deep frustration that may live with you for months, years, and decades in your life. You will be an expert at making mountains out of molehills. You will utterly exhaust yourself. Jesus shows us the way to freedom. And the way to freedom is actually to seek that other people around us will have their way, that God will have His way, and that we step into places where we allow other people to go first. That when other people are speaking, we listen to them without interrupting. When it comes to meeting with people, that we seek to be early so that we wait rather than them having to wait for us. These, to our human minds, don't sound like the ways that lead to freedom. But the spiritual exercise and discipline of submission is the way by which God frees us from the terrible burden of always having to have our own way. If we follow the way of the world that tells us that fulfillment and joy and peace come from always getting our own way, we will have such a weary and heavy soul. Jesus shows us the way to life, the way to freedom. Because here's the thing, the person who always wants to get their own way even if they do it in very subtle and underhand ways and, and pull the levers and strings in ways that they hope other people won't notice. Ultimately, everyone around them will get tired of serving them. And what will happen is that the person who always wants to have their own way will find that increasingly they live a life of isolation and misery. You see, the way to find the deep community that we long for with God and other people is not by demanding our own way, it's actually by yielding our own way. So if we're part of a marriage where we seek always to get our own way, or whether we do that in the family, or in the workplace, or in our neighborhood, or whatever it happens to be, we will gradually find that we are parts of those communities in name only and we will find that just as we want servants rather than family and friends, that is what we get. But if moment by moment, in every moment of our lives, we prayerfully pray, Lord, how can I put you first in this moment? How can I serve every single person that I encounter in the way that you want me to? then we will find that we step into an ever-deepening community with God and with other people. As we are vulnerable with them, as we, as it were, wash their feet, as we arrive early for the get-together, as we listen to what people are saying, rather than trying to guess what it is they're going to say, or finish their sentences, or interrupt when they're speaking. If we actively think, moment by moment, how can I bless this person? Whether it's our child, or our parent, or our boss, or our work colleague, or a neighbour, to actively always be thinking how can I serve this person today? Then we will find the Holy Spirit coming increasingly into our lives because the Holy Spirit is looking for people to fill the overflowing and work out the gifts of His Spirit in other people's lives. And so He will fill us with gifts of prophecy and gifts of healing and gifts of intercession and gifts of leadership, and hospitality, and mercy. Why? Because we are saying, Lord, how can I serve this person? And the Spirit of Christ, the greatest servant of all, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the servant king, will flood in afresh to our lives and will empower us in ways beyond our imagination. And we will see the kingdom of God work in and through our lives. That, is spiritual refreshment. That is strength for the weary soul. That is what it means to follow Jesus Christ. And in all of this, the greatest joy of all comes in realizing that with every moment and with every step and with every prayer and with every helpful act, that we are stepping further into the presence of our Heavenly Father. And in that, we are responding to the invitation of Jesus, the one person who can give us rest for our souls. And who says to us, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Take my yoke, which means my teaching. Take my yoke upon you, said Jesus, and you will find rest for your souls. For, said Jesus, I am gentle and I am am humble in heart. My hope and prayer. For myself, my hope and prayer for all of us is that increasingly in our lives, when people think of us, they would think, there's Nigel, he is gentle and humble and hard. My hope and prayer is for every single one of us that when other people think of us and look at us, they will say, there is such and such. They are gentle and they are humble in heart. Because in that place, people will get a glimpse of what it looks like to live a life that is full of energy in body, mind, and spirit. As all of us respond to the one who is the king of kings and who is the servant of all. Let's pray.